Good morning, everyone. I'm R.W. Estella with a word in Edgewise. Today is the 15th of March, the 74th day of 2021, leaving us 291 days until 2022. Today is the Ides of March, part of the curious groupings the Romans concocted for a 31-day month such as March. They had the Calends at the beginning of the month, the Ides at the middle, and the Nones between. Accordingly, the Calends was day one, with days two through six being counted as before the Nones, with the Nones then following on day seven. Similarly, days eight to fourteen were grouped as before the Ides, with the Ides falling on day fifteen. After the Ides, the days were counted as before the Calends, meaning before the first day of the next month. Yet William Shakespeare, not the Romans per se, would probably be seen as most responsible for bringing the Ides of March forward into modernity, specifically through his fortune-teller character uttering to Julius Caesar, Beware the Ides of March, in the eponymous play recounting his assassination. And speaking of Ides, this past week I visited my friend the accountant to prepare for the Ides of April, that deadline for getting all one's important numbers arranged for the Internal Revenue Service, and for us here in Down East Maine, for those State of Maine officials interested in what's happening with our revenue. My friend the accountant I met decades ago, so I value a great deal of what he has to say, not only concerning the assembly of my tax returns, but also life in general, for he is a well-traveled lad, having ventured far and wide upon the high seas, as well as in the air and upon terra firma. So when he remarks to me this past week that the COVID-19 numbers in themselves have been with us for so long now that they have become somewhat stale to some folks, and that perhaps something a little jazzier for presentation is in order, maybe percentages instead, my ears picked up. His point, of course, is allied to one I've been sensing for some time now, that the numbers are fairly large, actually, especially if being considered by anyone who has lost a loved one to COVID-19 and who says, hey, wait a minute, this thing is real, for it took someone from me whom I cared deeply about and who is now among those numbers. But the numbers are not large enough for people who say, well, we've got 360 million people in the U.S. and we haven't even lost a million yet to the virus. How about on a world scale, however? Toward the end of last week, the number of confirmed COVID-19 cases worldwide had approached 118.8 million, an increase of at least 3.1 million cases globally since the week before. Using the not-such-a-big-number argument, we find, sure, given 7 billion inhabitants on the planet, a fifth of a billion cases doesn't seem so much. And along with those cases worldwide, we're now approaching 2.7 million deaths. Not a big number compared to 7 billion, right? Importantly, we need to remember the perils of NIMBY, not in my backyard, which can mean it can happen anywhere else, but not in my backyard, like a landfill or a nuclear reactor. Or it can also mean how serious can it be since it's not happening in my backyard. Certainly the past year has told us how serious it can be beyond the deaths, the changed survivors, the crippled economies, the existential uncertainty. 
The number of confirmed cases of the virus in Maine continues, for reasons clear to anyone familiar with the basics of Contamination 101. So some important percentages to remember are that the U.S. has only 4% of the world's population, though at least 25% of the world's confirmed COVID-19 cases, and almost 20% of the world's COVID-19 fatalities, meaning we are definitely great at spreading the virus. Right behind us, leading the charge in cases are India, Brazil, Russia, the U.K., France, and Spain, from 2nd through 7th place. And right behind us in COVID fatalities are Brazil, Mexico, and India, from 2nd through 4th place. Tonight and tomorrow night, just after sunset, we'll have a young moon. And later this week, look for that burgeoning crescent moon in company with Mars and the star Aldebaran and the Pleiades. Today in 1767, Andrew Jackson was born, either in South Carolina, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Virginia, Ireland, England, or on board a ship in the Atlantic Ocean, depending upon which account you believe. In other words, the location of his birth is uncertain, though, as biographer Ed Morrow tells us, the most likely contenders are the Carolinas, as the Jackson family lived on the borders between those states at a time when they were yet to have been officially surveyed and established. The foreign possibilities have mostly been suggested by his political rivals, who were hoping to take away his American citizenship and render his presidency unconstitutional. Remember anyone recently who was trying that with a sitting U.S. president? In his illiterate community, Jackson became the first public reader, taught by his pastor beginning when Jackson was five years old. We're told Jackson grew up a rowdy yahoo before deciding to become a lawyer in 1791. Owing to the discovery by nearly everyone that his wife, Rachel Robards, had not been legally divorced when she and Jackson were married, many aspersions were cast on his character, and several duels were subsequently fought on the recommendation of his mother. Jackson, however, was more than vindicated when he decisively defeated the British at the Battle of New Orleans during the War of 1812, fame which carried him through to 1828 when he became the seventh president of the United States. Today is also the birthday of Sabu in 1924, of Judd Hirsch and of Jimmy Swaggart in 1935, of Mike Love in 1941, and of Fabio in 1961. For more on Omain, I'm R.W. Estella with a word in edgewise. Here's to the 13th official week of winter. We made it. The vernal equinox is on Saturday.